0: Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 35. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at RedPoints, the world's fastest growing digital revenue recovery platform, with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In this podcast, we will share stories and industry insights. From some of the leading experts in brand protection and anti-counterfeiting from many different industries, we are so happy you could join us today. And please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Jordan Franklin, trademark corporate counsel at Harley Davidson Motor Company. Her journey into the legal realm began at Southern University Law Center, where she pursued and specialized in fashion and copyright trademark. Jordan's first dream was actually to become a doctor, but early in her university life, she realized it wasn't for her. Making the pivot to law school, Jordan wanted to connect her creativity, background, in music to a career in intellectual property. Her dedication and strategic approach led her to achieve her dream role as an in house counsel at Harley Davidson. Along the way, Jordan gained valuable experience in her own private firm. Join us as we delve into Jordan's inspiring career, exploring her motivations, challenges, and triumphs in the realm of brand protection. Jordan, thank you uh, for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you and thank you for being our guest.
1: No, awesome. I'm glad to be here. I definitely enjoyed our time briefly on the panel when we were in San Diego. So thank you so much for considering me. So
0: Jordan, I want to start this off with just a you know, quick uh, question to, to loosen up the, the, the vibes here. But if you had to choose one of these things that you would do for the rest of your life, which would be maybe riding Harley-Davidson motorbikes all over the place or playing golf, would you be able to pick which one of those things you could only do one of for the
1: rest of your life? Absolutely. I'm playing golf. (laughs) (laughs) Zero hesitation. That's easy, huh? Very. Very good. Well, that's good
0: that you have a strong hobby. I happen to love golf. I don't know if I could do it all the time. My back would probably swing too hard and it hurts my back. So when you think about some of the experiences that you've had in your career, whether at your current job or at previous jobs, that sometimes when you're out with friends having a glass of wine or having a beer, you tell this story because it sort of one of those stories you can't get out of your head is there one of those funny experiences that you think of that in your career that tends to repeat at uh, those those nights at a bar or something
1: i honestly was thinking about this question for like the last week i cannot find an answer i feel like <laughs> i don't think there's anything funny that has happened career-wise so far yeah I can't think of anything I guess maybe like an awkward situation and sometimes I laugh like when situations are awkward was I had a meeting with an attorney for another company that we were working with and uh, his introduction was telling me that he he had applied for several positions and no one ever responded and I was just like um well I hope your Tuesday is going amazing (laughs) 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 <laughs> what do you say to that like oh, yeah. I'm sorry so that's maybe about the funniest and that's the most recent. I think it's funny because it was kind of super awkward and it's kind of like everybody on the call it was like five was on the call everybody on the call kind of just got quiet and he was like yeah you know that's my that's my story and i was just we were all like okay um no I think lesson that's a good one
0: or else I think last night I stayed at a Holiday Inn or something <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I think that that was probably like like awkward thing, but I yeah, like I, said, awesome. I laugh an awkward situation, so I was glad my mic was muted because I definitely was laughing.
0: That is funny. So when we put this podcast together, one of the things we were thinking about is how do we all end up in this space today? And so one of the things I want to know from you is when you were a young person, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up as as a dream or something you wanted to do?
1: So actually, wildly enough, it was exactly the opposite of what I'm doing now in my life. I actually went back and found like some things that I had written in high school and like what I wanted to do. So I actually wanted to be a reconstructive surgeon, which was the opposite of what I'm doing now. So um, my freshman year of college, freshman and sophomore year, actually, my concentration was pre-med and my major, I believe my major at the time was biology uh, with a minor in Spanish. And that's not what I graduated with, so <laughs> I made a complete one eighty. The institution that I went to for undergrad, I went to Baylor. Baylor has uh, go Baylor huge, Bears, go Bears, thick them. Um, so Baylor has a huge medical presence, so that's one of the reasons why I went. We have Baylor College of Medicine. I'm one of the top medical schools, uh, actually based in Houston. We have a School of Dentistry in Dallas, Nursing School in Dallas. So it's a huge like medical school. My best friend, she's an anesthesiologist now, and we met in college. So I was like the oddball. Did not enjoy any of the science classes as much as I thought I would. But Baylor requires you to take a political science course and I fell in love with it. And so I actually ended up switching my major, not even to political science, actually to philosophy. Um and I have a, a minor in religion and European history.
0: Wow. That just that is fascinating. And by what a one eighty for sure, and Complete then and then as <laughs> as you did that though even with your, you know, philosophy degree, your your minor in 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 religion etc. How do you then make the arc to this is the profession you're going to do today?
1: So I've always had a creative background, and I so I'm actually a classically trained pianist. I don't really play as often as I I like to, but um, classically trained pianist. I did a uh, symphony growing up. I played um, B-flat, bass, and also clarinet. So I've always had like a super musical background. So when I got to law school, I was like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, this is something, an area that I'm passionate about. I believe, you know, what we do directly ties to the creative process. So that's kind of how I, I've figured my way into the trademark space and then like the IP space in general, because I did do uh, a lot of copyright work, too, when I was in private practice. And I think it's because of my background. It was a way for me to continue to contribute to the art space without actually being an artist myself. So that's kind of what drew me into soft IP in particular. Fascinating.
0: Following up on that. so. Tell us about your journey in the in the legal space. How, how did you, what was that first job? How did you progress and how did you end up in Harley-Davidson?
1: So my first job actually out of law school was me hanging my own shingle. So I actually started my own law firm immediately out of law school, um, more so out of necessity. When I was interviewing for a job in Houston in particular, which is currently where I still live and practice, the hardest thing for me was finding organization that did not require me to sit for the patent bar. Houston is a huge oil and gas and energy industry. So because of that, a majority of IP attorneys are predominantly patent attorneys. So that made it difficult. Even though I had, I have some hard science background, I actually believe I have enough credits because of my bio major to sit for the patent bar, but I have zero interest in sitting for the patent bar. That made it hard to, to find something. So I was like, okay, you have some knowledge. You have connection for a temporary period of time. And I put a timeline together on what that looked like for me. So I had my own firm probably for about a year and a half. And I was able to build a pretty, pretty solid book of business. Um, and with that, I was able to move into uh, a mid-sized law firm here in Houston that did or would allow me to to do primarily soft IP work because I again have already established that that that's what I've done and what I do so I moved into that firm for about two years as well and then I transitioned in-house to Harley so in-house was always my goal straight out of law school but uh, I mean in law school but I knew going straight into an in-house job right after graduation was almost like non-existent so I was like okay What skill sets do I need? I made sure I had mentors that were in-house and I would ask them in particular, like if you were looking to hire someone on your team, what type of skill sets are you looking for? You know, what types of, of, you know, experiences would you like that candidate to have? And so during those four years, I went out and made sure I uh, accomplished a lot of those skills so that when I was ready to go in-house, that I was, you know, pretty solid. Obviously, there's still things I'm learning, but that I had a good solid foundation.
0: Uh, you, you know what uh, strikes me about that is the focus it must take to play the musical instruments that you described and the focus that you displayed between graduating law school and getting to Harley Davidson. I mean, you're, you sound like a very focused individual who is lasered in on where you're going and what you want.
1: Yeah, I actually, I don't have the journal around somewhere, but I have a, a journal. It's called a, a passion planner. At the beginning of it, it's like a little web chart and you can write down what your goals are, three months, six months, one year, three years. And when I got the offer from Harley, I went back to the journal. Something was like, go back and look. And from the date that I so you put a date in the middle and then it sparks like the little arms kind of branch off from the date in the middle. So from the date in the middle, um, it was approximately my three-year goal was to be in-house. And I hit that three-year goal probably about two months over. So I think from the date I wrote it down, I would have been in-house in like January. And I got the offer in March. Wow. So Previous. it was pretty it was pretty spot on. And I, I didn't even realize that something was like, go back and find it. Go and look at it. And sure enough, and I was like, wow. So I, I adamantly encourage and believe in writing things down because it kind of helps you see them and then go ahead and achieve. So it was pretty cool to see that. Yeah,
0: great advice. Great advice for those people who listen today and and for those talking to you today, including myself. Great advice. For those who may not know exactly about Harley-Davidson, can you give us a brief overview? What does Harley-Davidson do? Where are you based? What countries you're in? That would be really helpful.
1: Absolutely, I'm still learning a lot. Uh, I had just celebrated seven months with the company, but Harley Davidson is one of the oldest motorcycle manufacturing companies actually in the world. We have just celebrated 120 years this year. We have survived Great Depressions, two world wars, recession, and, you know, still standing very strong. Harley is based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am not in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, the company, uh, has been forced to, to make some shifts. So, a lot of our legal team and a lot of the company in general um, has remote positions. So, we're pretty much everywhere. Um, like I said earlier, I'm based out of Houston. You know, we have testing plants in Arizona and in Florida, we have uh, offices in Europe and in South America. So we're we're pretty global. Not even pretty, we are global. Um, so that also is like super awesome to work for now this huge global company, which has also been a dream. So um yeah, it's just a little bit of the history of Harley. There's there's so much. Obviously, like I say, we've been orchard motorcycles, but um, we are also heavily in the apparel and um jewelry space as well, footwear, you name it, we do it. Yeah,
0: fantastic. I happen to travel a lot in around uh the- the uh, Europe and uh, U.S. and of course you really can't go too many places without seeing, you know, one of those bikes come down the street somewhere. You know, in the world you see them. If you had to describe Harley Davidson in one sentence, what would be the description of the?
1: At the innovative. I don't think you left for 120 years without being innovative.
0: Yeah, but for sure.
1: And w- when you think
0: about your role as a legal trademark counsel, what is one of those? I don't know if you think about the difficult tasks that you do every day. Some are difficult, some are less difficult. But what are what are the more difficult tasks that you're, you know, need to accomplish in your job?
1: I think because of the reach of the company, one of the most difficult things is kind of making sure we have a handle on our trademark usage globally. That can be kind of a daunting task when your trademark team only consists of three attorneys and one primarily focusing on brand protection so it, it can it can be a lot on my manager and I because we do split the portfolio globally so there's a lot of watch notices a lot of hey can you check on this to see you know how is this person using it what type of use is it too close do we need to go after them do we need to just send a cease and desist or should we just you know full-blown opposition is this litigation worthy like you know it, it's so many considerations just to make sure that we're protecting the brand because it is an extremely well-known brand. And so, you know, you do have those bad apples that want to ride the coattails, you know, for their benefit, whatever that looks like. So I will say so far, that's been the hardest thing is just trying to keep up with things that are are consistently changing, especially um, in a counterfeit and infringement space because they move quickly. And you think you shut one down and then another one pops up. So I will say that has been the, the most challenging thing again is just kind of making sure we have a handle on that and then what the handle looks like. Yeah,
0: obviously bad actors are trying to monetize whatever they can and uh, when you're probably as big as Harley Davidson there seems to be to your point Elena, if I could monetize something for a few minutes I'd like to get in there and do it so I imagine that you have uh, a number of attacks that take place you know frequently for sure.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's the biggest headache before. <laughs> yeah, but- yeah. Thank God for outside counsel because we lean on, especially yeah. in all our foreign jurisdictions, we lean on outside counsel a lot, and they have yeah. the ones that I work with have been nothing but phenomenal.
0: Awesome, and, and you must have them in multiple jurisdictions, I guess. To your point, all over, yeah, yeah.
1: And how
0: does your experience differ between working in a law firm and serving as an in-house counsel?
1: The work hasn't changed too much, except for now I do a lot more international work that I did when I was in private practice. That was something I've always wanted to do, which was I will say a little difficult to try to get on your own. I had a few international clients that I was able to to get through the power of like social media. Um I used my social media a lot at the time when I was in private practice for like marketing purposes. And so I was able to kind of garner a clientele that way, especially clientele that were not based in Houston. So that was useful skill set wise. I will say the biggest difference that I've seen so far. Again, I'm still a newbie in house. Is I feel like in private practice you have to move significantly faster than you do in house. You know, we get an opportunity to actually be like, hey, give me a, give me a day or two. Let me look up this issue. Let me figure out, you know, what would be the best bet. And I'll get back to you when you're in private practice. It feels like if you're in a meeting, they want an answer then. And so I I like it better now because I don't feel like I have a lot of the stress with having to make a decision on the spot and whether or not that decision is a right decision. Like I get an opportunity to kind of go sit and think about it for a minute, a day or two, and then come back with an answer. Um, that was one of my biggest hurdles when I first started. That manager was like hey take take your time don't feel rushed you don't have to have an answer now you know go take that go take a minute get a well-informed decision and then come back slow down and so I'm like slow down what is that?" <laughs> yeah. so that was like a huge adjustment but I'm definitely grateful for it I'm still adjusting to I will say some habits that you know you pick up when you're in private practice that are just not even necessary when you're in house, and that is huge you
0: know? yeah Awesome. You know, I always think about that too. You know, someone just because someone asks you a question doesn't mean you have to provide an answer because a better thoughtful answer, as you describe, sometimes is better than sort of a quick answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And online fraud, you know, I guess especially you know things like counterfeiting or brand impersonation. These are things that are uh, happening all over the place, and now we have the advancement of sort of AI. Are there any trends that you like to highlight that concern you the most in this arena?
1: Um, I do think the AI stuff is a little concerning, especially when it comes to, I don't know what that'll look like from a manufacturing standpoint. I think that that unknown is kind of scary because again, one of the problems that we have is counterfeit goods being manufactured and sold. And so with technology, they're only going to find faster ways and, you know, more efficient ways to produce these things. And so it's like, how do you keep a handle on it? I think that's probably what one of my biggest concerns, because it's still kind of an a growing issue that no one really has the answers to it yet. Um, and there's so many ways we haven't seen it be used that I'm pretty sure someone's trying to figure out how to use. If you if you, you know, know what I mean. So I think that's kind of one of the scariest things for me is just so many unknowns.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think, you know, when I I think of AI, it it may be harder to deploy AI in a physical product. But maybe when we think about AI, like, I don't know, creating multiple fake websites that maybe trick your consumers uh, such that they think they're on your website or following you, but they're somewhere else. Yeah. And their identity is taken or their money is taken without product or whatever. I think those could be you know some of the risks I think as we think about tomorrow as a potential challenge, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. We just had like a cybersecurity training recently as well. And you know, someone can make a small change to a URL that you're not going to really see and then next thing you know, it's you have malware where, you know, installed on your computer, it's phishing. You know, issue or something like that. So I think you're absolutely right with that.
0: When it when it comes to the licensing spot you talked about, you know, where you you license your product and your your name and your reputation, this hundred plus year reputation on product. uh, What are some of the challenges that you see in the process of licensing?
1: So far, what I've experienced has been some overproduction with some goods so when it comes to licensing we're very strict with what those guidelines are and what they look like um and so when it comes to goods the amount of the item or the product is like a huge deal for us and so you know one issue that we've dealt with more recently has been you know a licensee's overproduction of an item and so then it's like the term of the agreement is over and you have these thousands of units of an item what what do we do with it uh, we can't continue to allow you to sell, but to destroy would be unnecessary waste. So then it's like, well, we need to do something. We know Harley doesn't really sell um, in discount stores or anything of that nature. So it's like, do we now open this channel? Because we have all this inventory that we're just sitting on. So that, I will say, is the biggest thing. We have We got to significantly buckle down um, when it comes to licensing on the amount of product that's being um Produced. produced. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. That's a, that's a really interesting challenge. When you think about like the challenges or you know things you look that you foresee maybe in the future in brand protection, is there anything that sort of stands out as a potential down the road challenge other than the conversation about it? AI? Is there other things out there you think are trending?
1: I think that Rothschild and uh, Hermes case. Was one I really paid a lot of attention to, especially as metaverse thing becomes a thing, Um, because I know a lot of trademark owners, uh, IP owners, are like, well, well, you know, it's it's a made up reality technically, but what do my rights look like as they're selling and buying things, even in a virtual space? And so I actually I agree with the outcome for that case that basically as a trademark owner, your rights don't change just because they're being duplicated in something like a metaverse. So I think that is something for us to look out for um, yes. in the future, but it's good to see that there now is some case law um, that we can lean on as far as like protections.
0: Yeah. Really good point. And, and one of the things sometimes when I, uh, and I'm not a trademark lawyer, I'm just a regular operator in this space, but when you think of the people in your industry, sometimes we tend to lump lawyers particularly maybe ip lawyers together what's this myth that we should think that sometimes we stick lawyers together we might think they're cogeny not very funny or whatever i don't know is there a myth we should that you would help us bust that this is not true about ip lawyers
1: i think that's a good one like there's so many people who meet me they're like we think you're so serious and i'm probably one of the most non-serious people like ever my like, wife is too short we should laugh like if there's a time where i can bring in laughter into a meeting I was I think I'm pretty sure when I was interviewing I was like cracking jokes at the same time I think it it invites a level of of comfort I want to say I mean it kind of like drops the tension and the you know the stiffness that attorneys have so I think that's a huge myth is that we're all just serious and walking around like oh that's infringement ah whatever I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a few like knockoff items, you know, in my drawer. Not Harley knockoff, but of course not. you know, other other brands. So I don't. I feel like we're not as serious, or shouldn't be taken as serious. Awesome people in that space. Like we like to laugh and have a good time too.
0: Awesome. So Jordan, from our last podcast, our guest was Nagar Kirimova. A trademark attorney at Essity and she had a question for you I don't know that she knows you but she wanted to know if you had one superpower which one would you choose
1: oh that's a good one that is a great one so you know what I was actually talking about this with my boyfriend because we were watching a a Marvel movie (laughs) and he I think I can't remember which character he said was his favorite he was like who's yours and wonder woman has like always been my favorite character her strength i think it's a huge thing her speed and her intellect so i think those would be some of the superpowers that i would also like to have but then storm is also one of my favorite characters on the other side so like the ability to control weather i think would be amazing but then on the other side <laughs> i know this is like going around the question i apologize uh, jean gray from x-men she uh could control with her mind so to sum it all up i'd say that would probably be i would like to be a dr Jean gray from x-men you know telepathy So you're giving
0: away the golden hand the golden cups from wonder and you're going with the mind control
1: i'm going with the mind control i am yeah gene gray was she was a serious character if anyone ever watches like X Men. yeah all right <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll get it we're gonna we're gonna let it we're gonna let that beat in so uh <laughs> What advice would uh, you give to someone uh, pursuing a career like yours or maybe even pursuing a career you know similar to yours? What would that advice you'd give to a young person who's thinking about maybe doing what you did?
1: I think mentorship is gonna be the biggest piece of advice I can give you. In particular, like I said earlier, I had mentors who were in the space that I wanted to get in even though I wasn't there. I asked questions, um, I used them as resources, I met them, I met their colleagues, Um, and that network can definitely help you get into spaces that you're wanting to get into it was two of my mentors that helped me get the job that I have and so I owe them a tremendous debt they said for them it's all in today's work Um, they are both in-house as well but I think that mentorship is extremely important and it's priceless and you get to build some amazing relationships So now I'm with one company, my mentors are in-house with two to three different other companies. So now it's kind of like, you know, it's already a camaraderie, but now it really is because it's people that you really trust who are like in these spaces. So
0: yeah. And you know, that's a great answer because that really helps people in any career. It's not specifically the IP space, but it's really good, solid foundational advice. So thank you. Of course. And when you think about those mentors, is there someone in your career that? really inspired you to do what you're doing or inspired you to take this leap of faith or is you know
1: yes so my grandmother was probably a huge inspiration on the 28th of this month made a year since she passed so i'm oh, sorry yeah you know a grandmother's love they they say is, is one of the best to have and so my grandmother had an eighth grade education um and so she was able she wasn't able to see me obviously at the harley job but she was able to see me um, progress in my career in the way that I have. And so continuing to move forward, I remember there was a time actually all of last year I interviewed with about six different companies, you know, going four and five rounds per company and you know, I'll get to the last round and it would get down to myself and another candidate. And it was like the same rhetoric. Oh my God, we love you. We think you're amazing. We just wish you had a little bit more experience. We just wish you had a little bit more experience. So it was let down after let down after let down. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, it, it's heartbreaking, you know, you start kind of questioning yourself. Like maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I'm not good enough. You know, it was a lot of that when she got sick and passed, I was like, okay, I kind of had a, a come to Jesus moment with myself. Cause I was like, I'm not going to interview anymore for the rest of the year. So after she passed, I was like, okay, I know her. She would not want me to continue to be in a place where I feel I'm not growing and I'm growing unhappy. And I was like, okay, figure out what that looks like at the beginning of the year, start applying again. So January, I started sending out applications. Harley was actually uh, one of two companies that I sent uh, my resume out to. And lo and behold, here I am. So I-, I owe a lot to her in life and in death though.
0: That's awesome. That's, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. That's a personal story, and thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. That's awesome. Well, uh, Jordan, I'm going to ask you this next question, But our and the next question is, what do you want to ask our next guest? So I have Julian from eBay as one of my next guests, and I have Andrew from Specialized, but based on timing of their schedules, I'm not sure exactly which one of them is going to be next, but if you're okay, whether it's Andrew from Specialized or whether it's Julian from eBay could you come up with a question? Could you ask, uh, you know, what would be that? Uh, so now I'll ask you the question, what would you like to know from our next guest? Right. And and then I'll fill in the name when I get this, their schedules down. Um, I
1: guess my next question would be.
0: Well, let me ask you this before you answer the question. Do you know either one of those? Have you ever met Julian For He's the head of the Vero department that manages the the the, the global takedown process at, you know, eBay. Uh, been in space for about 17 years yeah he's a good guy and then andrew is the head of brand protection for specialized which is you know almost a two billion dollar bicycle brand and a real sharp you know brand protection person so i didn't know if that would matter but what would you like to know for my next guest
1: um if there's one piece of advice they would give a young attorney what would that be a young attorney wanting to be in their shoes what would that be
0: Perfect. We'll get. We'll ask them that question, and you'll listen to their answer on the next podcast.
1: I sure will. I look forward to hearing it.
0: <laughs> so uh, here's my my last four questions in fifteen seconds. So are you ready, Jordan? I'm ready. All right. Favorite music band or singer? Oh
1: man, the hard one. Oh man. Oh lord, that is a hard. I hate that question because that is such a hard. Question. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go with my hometown girl because I am a Houston native born and raised, so is Beyonce. So. Queen Bee. All right, favorite book? My favorite book, it's actually a series of books, um, the Dan Brown books, so Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, The Lost Symbol, that whole series.
0: Awesome. If you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Probably croissant.
0: Well, I wasn't expecting that. That's good. Uh what is your go-to resource to keep updated on all things sort of brand protection, the IP space?
1: If I say Twitter, I feel like I would get shunned. Um, so uh, watch Watchdog IP, I believe is a good one. Um, yes. And one of my personal favorites is the fashion law, because I do like things in the fashion and apparel space. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jordan, so
0: much for spending time with us today. It was awesome to get to know you and get to know your story. And thank you for sharing that with us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, one and two, for your time.
0: Well, Jordan, it was very interesting to learn about your career and your journey and your insights into intellectual property. I would like to highlight a couple takeaways for me today that really resonated. Number one, Jordan encourages everyone with a dream or a goal to write it down in a journal. She did exactly that, and three years and two months to the date, she would become a trademark corporate counsel for Harley Davidson. Number two, Jordan fears that advanced AI might have a negative impact on the production and or selling of counterfeits. This is an area of concern for her and I know it's one she'll be watching closely in the coming months and years. Well, that's it for us today. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, as well as X and LinkedIn. Don't want to miss a new episode that goes live. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Make it a good day.